So anyway, the, the topic is carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Uh, this, is, uh, this is about 150 pages in a nutrition, in a nutrition textbook. So <laughs> there's a lot of material here. But anyway, I'm going to try to do the best, best I can. To give you an overview, uh, these are the macro, M-A-C-R-O, macronutrients. Well, uh, if not, we'll put it on, the, on our website, and you can have it there. This presentation, particular one, I, is not in the book because it's a combination. I tried to pull together um, the latest material plus all these three other lectures. You know, food choices that we make are, are dependent upon a number of things. Habit. Ethnic heritage, your, your heritage and what foods you eat is different than mine. And hers is different than yours. Uh, social interaction, availability, convenience, economy, whatever our budgets are. Positive and no negative associations. Uh, some, some countries, they have um, uh, hot foods and cold foods. You know, all kinds of interesting things that aren't scientific, but it's cultural. Emotional conference, values, put, people put different values on food, uh, body weight and image, and nutrition education. All these things make up uh, what, we, how, what kind of choices we make for foods. Now, all foods in all countries and all places are made up of basically um, eight or ten things here. They all contain protein, and they must. Everybody needs protein, fats, carbohydrates, water, and in the micro, M-I-C-R-O micro, nutrients, they need vitamins, minerals, fiber, and phytochemicals. Everybody needs these, and uh, depending on the size, body size, and age, will depend on how much of these that we need. Now, there's three important things that we must consider in getting a good balanced diet. First of all, we must make the right selection. And I discussed a little bit of that in the last lecture. And tonight, one of the lectures tomorrow, tomorrow I'll be dealing with dietary uh, recommendations and we'll deal more with that. But selection is very important. But so is digestion. These nutrients must be digested, and there's certain principles of digestion. And then besides digestion, they must be absorbed. And there's all kinds of factors that influence digestion. People, for instance, uh, say fat is hard to digest. Fat is not hard to digest in a healthy body, but it does take longer, as you saw this morning on that chart. It's just a different fact, and it's designed to be longer, to give you more satiety value. And it takes longer, as you saw, even before it kicks in and starts giving you energy, it takes longer to break down those fats, and that's by design. But absorption is very important. There's many factors that determine absorption. Uh, we know today that calcium absorption really doesn't take place unless you have plenty of vitamin D. And that's why probably in the north, northern climates, people have more osteoporosis. They get plenty of calcium, but they don't get plenty of vitamin D. 
And so to, uh, vitamin D is a big issue now, and we wish, I wish I had more time to deal with it, but I don't. So be sure that you not, not only make the right selection, but you, 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 the mechanical part of it is broken down so that it can be absorbed. And uh, all these are extremely important. Now, I mentioned, this is a slide I was thinking of in the earlier presentation, that you, you, gotta, you can see different foods give you different of these macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. For instance, looking at, at legumes, they're 70% carbs, carbohydrates, mostly carbohydrates. Uh, look at nuts. Where does it shift? To fats. 74% of nuts, are, you know, this is an average. I've taken an average to develop this. But 74% of the calories come from, uh, from fat in nuts. Uh, potatoes, 92% of the carbs come from, from uh, uh, the calories come from, from, from carbs. Uh, vegetable oils, you'll see 100% of the calories come from fats. Milk, cow's milk, it's just about, you know, even all the three. Grains is mostly carbs. So if we're going to get fat, carbohydrate, and protein in our diet, what does this mean? That we need to get a, some of each one of those food groups into our diet every day, if, if that's going to happen. Now, simple, simple carbohydrates are divided into simple and, and, simple and, com and complex carbohydrates. Uh, and you've, you've heard of table sugar, sucrose, that's a disaccharide. That means there's two molecules. So maltose, sucrose, and lactose are all disaccharides. But single sugars, simple sugars, are glucose, fructose, and galactose. Now, the only one we're basically concerned about when it comes to food is fructose. That's found in fruit. Fruit has both sucrose and fructose in it. Galactose uh, comes from milk and glucose. That's where it all boils down to. We have all our carbohydrates because the body doesn't use starch. It's got to use glucose, so it breaks down into the glucose. Complex carbohydrates are glycogen, which is found in muscles and muscle and, and in meats. But it's stored, glycogen is stored in your muscles and in your liver. We find starches mainly in grains and legumes. And then there's soluble and insoluble fibers. Soluble fibers are um, like found in oatmeal and beans and fruits. But the insoluble fibers, I think that's over here somewhere next. Um, let's see. Soluble, and then there we go, insoluble. Insoluble is um, uh, the, the, the food that has the highest amount of insoluble fiber is wheat, whole wheat. And um, it's interesting, going back and looking at nutrition 100 and 150 years ago, um, Kellogg, which is a famous name in our church, in the early days of our church, he, uh, he said there's coarse vegetables, meaning these vegetables that have a high amount of fiber. He says they're nearly not good for you. And I, I have a book at home from John Hopkins University Nutrition Department. This guy was head of nutrition. And he said sugar is a perfect food. 
Why? Because it's 100% it's digested. These fibers that were in this food weren't digested. So in 100 years ago, they said they weren't necessary. But of course, today, we know that they are. And these are the soluble and the insoluble. Mainly the insoluble fibers are very important because they accelerate the and, and transit time between the time we eat and the time we defecate. They uh, slow down starch breakdown, and that's by importance. Slow down glucose absorption. That keeps your blood sugar more or less modulated so it doesn't go into a big peak. Fibers increase the water holding capacity of your fecal matter. In other words, it sort of reduces your risk of constipation. And, uh, and your, uh, but the disadvantage is if you have too much in that they might bind some of the minerals and take them out with it, such as selenium and, and zinc and iron and some of those smaller nutrients. So if you have too much fiber and, uh, and that you get too much by, by uh, not having maybe any type of dairy products or similar alternatives to dairy, or you don't use any sugar, or you don't use any fat. So when you don't use any fat and any sugar, which you should be using some fat, but if you don't use any sugar, any fat, or any refined products, it's very possible you might get a little bit too much fiber. Um, so it's nice to, to, to get all the nutrients we need, and then if we need a few extra calories when we run, or when we run five miles or 10 miles or 10 day, five, seven days a week, we get a few extra calories by using a little more higher calorie foods like avocados uh, or a little extra fat like flaxseed oil or a little uh, more carbohydrates, concentrated carbohydrates like dates or dried fruits or maybe even a little sugar in something as long as we don't make it too much. <clears throat> now the new term for um, insoluble fibers You'll see this in the literature. They use different terms. One is fermentable carbs or resistant starch. These are all names that you might, different people say that different, you know, identify them as differently. So if you see resistant starch or fermentable carbs, you know it's also the same as insoluble fiber. But these are all found to be uh, actually good for the colon and uh, it reduces colon cancer the more fiber you have, if you get the right amount of fiber, fiber in your diet. The insoluble fibers, the best source is wheat bran, wheat products, brown rice, corn bran, or the brands. And, but wheat has the highest amount in it. Uh, and it's really, people, I can remember <clears throat> as a kid, uh, you know, 10 to 14, I was always constipated. And I never knew why. Well, my, mo my mother didn't know anything about fiber or anything about wheat bran. Now, what she would do, she made our, our bread, and she would put a little brand, all brand, into her bread. And otherwise, everything, we didn't get 100% whole wheat or whole wheat or whole grains. You know, we, we occasionally had some oatmeal, but we didn't have a lot of wheat in our diet, and I was always constipated until I went to live with my grandmother at 16, and all of a sudden I don't, was no longer plagued by 
by constipation. Then when I studied nutrition, I found out why. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good feeling not to be constipated. Now, in the 2005 Dietary Guidelines for the U.S. government, uh, and uh, by the way, uh, some of you are, are in different countries and you have different guidelines, but uh, I, I can almost say this without fail, wherever I go around the world to scientific conferences, your guidelines are, are, are start with these guidelines, and then they adapt them to your country. Because this is this country, and maybe Germany or England is where, or Japan, that's where most of the scientific studies are done. So they go to these, and they they pattern theirs after after this. So you'll you'll see in your countries more whole grains now introduced into your guidelines than ever before. But it didn't happen before 2005. Now today in the 2010 guidelines. And this is the first time we've seen it in this country where they're recommending choose foods, uh, uh, choose a variety of grains, especially whole grains, and they list them. Brown rice, bulgur, cracked wheat, graham flour, popcorn, oatmeal, whole barley, whole cornmeal, whole oats, whole rye, whole wheat, millet. That's, that's a new day in nutrition in, in America to see all these whole grains emphasized. And of course, we could even add yellow corn and red rice and couscous and buckwheat and uh, triticale and kamut and tiff and amaranth and quinoa and spelt. And, you know, there's all kinds of grains out there that we could add to that list by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But it's great to see all these whole grains. And, and in our stores in America here, in the U.S., rather, uh, you, you can see now more and more people and these companies that produce foods, they are proud of their whole grains, you know. They put 100% whole wheat or 90% or whole grain. So we can get our whole grains much more than we used to. Okay, proteins. Protein, there's 22 amino acids in the protein foods. And there's about nine of these that are essential, meaning we must get them in our diet. Now with carbohydrates, uh, even though most of our food, the calories in most foods come from carbohydrates, we can really get by, we, we can you know, survive without carbohydrates in our diet because the body will take proteins and make energy from it. But that's not the best thing to do. It's just an emergency situation that happens. But with amino acids, we need the least nine or, or ten, the essential ones. And um, I don't know if I have those here or not. But uh, it used to be in the area of protein, uh, as Dr. Harding said in a lecture yesterday, in the beginning, when they realized that the body needed protein, what they would do, they looked at German athletes, and German athletes were get about a, getting about 125 grams of protein a day. And so they said, oh, well, these are healthy individuals, so therefore that's the standard. So when Dr. Harding, Fred Harding, who lectured this morning, when his dad was at Harvard, he did the first study on vegetarians and nutrient intake and determined that 
that, uh, that uh, mediators were getting on an average of about uh, 80, 90 grams of protein a day, and that lacto-ovo-vegetarians were getting about uh, 65 to 70 grams a day, and that even total vegetarians were getting about uh, 60 grams a day. And, uh, and so on a vegetarian diet, you can get uh, you know, plenty of protein. So in the early days in nutrition, in the 70s when I first uh, went to the School of Public Health and Nutrition, they were saying, well, you need to get a good quality protein. That means mixing a grain with a legume. And you'll get, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's at the same meal or during the day, but you should have at least a whole grain and a legume together, or at least in, in the day, and that you would be getting plenty of good quality protein. Uh, and that's still usually what people do if they're getting a balanced diet. That's why in the other lecture, I said we need food from each of the six groups, and the protein group, the legume group, the nut group, the carbohydrate group, the grain group, and that way we'll get plenty of good quality protein. Now, the latest uh, method of determining protein quality is this big long word here, P-D-C-A-A-C-S. Well, that really stands for Protein Digestibility Corrected Amino Acid Score. Okay, you don't have to remember that. Uh, but uh, when they do that, let me see, yeah. When they do that, they determine quality of protein. Now, the quality of protein is judged by the amount or the percentage of the different types of food proteins that are digested. So as you look at this chart, we see egg whites, 100% of egg whites are digested. They are 100% protein, and 100% of them are digested. Our, our fish, 100%. Milk, casein, the protein in milk, is 100%. But look there at soybeans, 99%. So, you know, for practical purposes, soybean protein is a high-quality protein. Beef is 97, kidney beans, 68, and most beans and grains, about 80 to 91%. So, but e even 80 to 91%, when we combine beans and grains together, or legumes and grains, they'll give you 80, 90%, and that's still a good quality protein. Now, going back to these others. So there's all kinds of protein combinations that we might, uh, we might uh, practice. Uh, legumes and grains, grains and nuts, milk or eggs with legumes or grains or whatever. Uh, and of course, we can do that any time during the day. Now, this is why they said mixing a grain with a legume. We look at this, legumes, now these are proteins up here, isoleucine, lysine, methionine, and trionine. Uh, uh, tryptophan. Uh, you see that legumes are high in, in these two here, isoleucine and leucine, but they're low in methionine and, and tryptophan. Okay, see that? But when you add legumes, they're low in the ones that the legumes are high in, but they're high in the, what the legumes are low in. So when you put the two together, it gives you a high-quality protein. Okay? Um, and these are um, four, uh, are the, these, these four amino acids 
are sometimes, and it used to before we knew much more about protein, but these are the four amino acids that people in nutrition were concerned about that vegetarians would not get enough of. Are they, especially if they have legumes that don't have grains or they have grains like the macrobiotic diet, which is a, a diet high in rice, mainly rice, brown rice. Well, they're not getting legumes. Now, this is another problem. Somebody mentioned earlier, I think in the class, asked about raw foods. Um, I haven't looked at the, the raw food books and, and, te- and the popular books within the last two or three years, but about three years ago, I surveyed from the Internet and book and Bible houses and bookstores all the books on raw foods. There was one food group that was missing. I looked at ten popular books from Hollywood to Malcolmus to everybody else, and there was one food group that was missing. Legumes. In all those 10 cookbooks, there was one mention of mung beans. Now, have you ever wondered why they don't dress the legume issue and don't put legumes in their diet? Because you can't eat them raw. Otherwise, it'll blow you up and basically almost poison. That's why, well, that was one reason right there why the raw food diet is an incomplete diet. It doesn't include legumes. Now, it doesn't include raw potatoes either because raw potatoes, white potatoes are very hard to digest. Even rice would be hard to chew as well. <laughs> well, they soak it. They soak it, but even soaking does not develop the nutritional value of it. It doesn't release the It doesn't allow the body. The body just doesn't have the digestive enzymes to break it down. And the same way with your, someone mentioned kale and collards. Uh, you can use, you can certainly eat any of these things, but they're not, the body can't develop the nutrition from it. And here's some of the reasons why. Beans are a poor man's best food. The rich man's food budget may afford beef, and they disdain the humble bean. But even a rich man cannot afford the artery-clogging, saturated fat of beef. But the poor man is far, fares far better health-wise because he has a, or she has a superior food, the bean. The bean is a, mar- the legumes are marvelous food values um, and uh, essential for vegetarians. Yes. Well, let me just tell you a good story about beans. Beans, if you don't cook them right, will give you gas, or give most people gas, or flatulence, if you want a better word. Uh, but the way you cook beans is soak them overnight in water. Just, just take the amount you want to cook, two cups, let's say, cover them in water and soak them overnight. Throw away, the, this, this research was done at Cornell University. Throw away that water. Put the beans back on the stove, cover them with water, and bring them to a boil. Do that. If you really want to be sure, do that three times. Throw away the water two times. On the third time, then boil your beans. And you will find that the gas-producing qualities, the uh, oleosaccharides and the different uh, phytonutrients that are non-digestible, will be inactivated 
and will produce much, much less gas, or maybe not any. Also with beans, it, you, if you're not used to eating beans, you need to try this method of preparing them and then try them for a month or so, and your body will sort of get used to them and, because beans are a very good food. But most people avoid them because of the gas production of them. Well, you may not have a problem, but yeah. but but most people do. They, ha I, for instance, I do. Uh, I will try a shortcut sometime with just bringing them to a boil and throw away that water. I will get a lot of gas out of that. But if I do it three times or two times and throw away that water, and people say, "Well, you're throwing away a lot of good nutrition." Well, maybe you're throwing away a little, but all the nutrition is not on the skin of the bean, and you're not throwing away the skin. It's just a throwing away a little. But this is a comparison here between beef and beans. And um, I've, I've gone to many countries, and people will say, you know, uh, uh, they, they don't want to be a vegetarian. And they say these foods are too expensive. And so I will go down to the market. I will price what it costs for buying fish and beef and chicken and beans. And you can get a lot more calories, a lot more protein, a lot more food value out of beans per dollar than you can meat by far. Always in any country I've ever gone to, beef and chicken and fish are twice as expensive as beans to get the same amount of nutrition. But here the protein, uh, uh, the this is the same amount of protein, same amount of grams. And from beef, you'll get 24 grams. Uh, with beans, you'll get seven to nine, a little less. But with, with, be uh, with beef, you won't get any fiber, and you'll get six to eight grams per serving from the beans. Folate, you see there, you'll get seven to uh, 15 times more folate in the beans than your beef. Saturated fat, which is not so good, you're going to get six times more in the beef than you do the beans. Cholesterol, you're going to get all cholesterol in the beef, but none in the beans. And when you go down to the other nutrients, it'll, there, beef is good in vitamin B1, but after that, you'll find beans are superior in, uh, in every way, in every nutrient. Is protein without the grains? No, you, this is just beans. But if you want to add the, the grains, and you should be adding the grains because you need the, to add this. What, oh, what is that? Oh, the amino acids. Uh, the beans uh, are, you saw in the earlier slide, the protein quality is 60 to 70% of beans, whereas uh, soybeans are 99%. So if you want the best quality, have beans and our legumes and grains during the day. And that way, we're not talking about amino acids here. We're talking about just general protein. protein. Yeah. Uh, but if you want really the best, be sure you eat some. And you know, um, if you in a in a dinner meal, if you have beans, you need to have some whole wheat bread, or some cornbread, or some kind of a grain. And the same way with breakfast, um, you know, add add uh, if you have beans for breakfast, add some bread there too. So it's uh, good that way. Uh, one pound of beans cooks yields 95 grams of protein. Six and one-half cups or one-half serving cost in the U.S. about 13 cents per serving. 
But what does the serving of beef cost or fish? 13 cents. If you can't afford beans, you can't afford, you're not, you know, you can't afford anything to eat. 13 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents a serving. Um, that's that's a, a lot of food value for such a little bit. That's why they're the, they're the poor man's rich food. Uh, make beans a staple and, and use variety of beans. And uh, I'll tell you the... Uh, if you can afford a slow cooker, that's the best way to cook beans. Do the, do the one I suggested. Bring them to boil, soak them, bring them to boil, bring them to boil, throw that away, and then put them in a slow cooker and cook them about six to eight hours. And it develops the flavor of those beans. Uh, they're delicious. Yes. That's, yeah, that's a complete protein. Yeah, that's good. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. A rice cooker and a brown rice especially. Yeah. A variety of inexpensive, well-cooked beans are an indispensable part of a balanced plant-based vegetarian diet. It would be health-wise to add several generous servings of bean to the diet several times a week, if not even daily. And so the new dietary guidelines, uh, it amounts to about three-quarters of a serving of beans per day. I mean, about four or five servings per week. So try to add beans. And of course, those of you who from Mexico and uh, South America, Brazil, black beans, um, Mexico, red beans, pinto beans. I love pinto beans. So uh, most every culture really has beans. Uh, the northern climates, uh, they have the white uh, navy beans are the or the Italians have the uh, canola, canela, canola beans. Uh, they, most every country has beans. Uh, the, the Far East has soybeans, yes. No, that, that's what protein is broken down to, to amino acids. So that's taken directly into the bloodstream? From the, from the, from the stomach, the, the lower, in, the uh, small intestines, Actually, digestion starts. I, digestion starts in the mouth. A little bit's carbohydrates, but a little bit in the stomach where they're broken down a little bit more. But the absorption takes place in the small intestines. All right, in the small intestines, the bean has been broken down into amino acids, and it's amino acids that are absorbed into the cells. Beans are a great source of protein, soluble fiber folate, zinc, iron, calcium, and even healthy fats. So beans are a great, should be a stable for every vegetarian diet. They're inexpensive. They have a low glycemic index. They're low in calories. They have good satiety value. They're staple food for many countries. They're really a superfood, and they lower cancer risk. So beans are make a great contribution. And uh, for a vegetarian, you know, you can, you can use your, your, uh, your soy uh, analogs from Worthington or Kellogg or whatever. Uh, those are fine, but, uh, but they are refined, and they use soy isolates. The, you know, they're, they're good, but uh, I wouldn't, for instance, 
20 years, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, we, my wife and I used to buy, go to camp meeting and buy these analogs by the case. Now we buy them by the can. <laughs> yeah, but beans now, you can't eat too many beans. Uh, so beans now. Okay, now let's deal with fat. We're done with proteins and carbohydrates. Let's deal with fats. Oh, yes, yes, sure. Um, <laughs> Dr. Hendesides calls uh, soy milk bean juice. Uh, and, uh, you know, in America, in the United States, we have well-fortified plant milks, rice milk, almond milk, potato milk, soy milk, those are well fortified. But if they weren't fortified with vitamins and minerals, they would almost be worthless. They're just very, they're mostly, you, you know, to, to make them palatable, they add a lot of sugar. Uh, they have to add the calcium because there's, there's not any calcium left, hardly at all. Uh, there's very little protein. There's no vitamin D. There's no, little riboflavin. They're just, you know, basically a few milligrams of uh, some of these nutrients. And if you make your soy milk from soybean, after all, you know, you, from a cup of soybeans, you may make a quart of soy milk, but then you throw away the fiber, you know, the pulp, and that's where you're throwing away not only the fiber, but much of the nutrients. So, but today's plant milks are, are well fortified and they, they are a good alternative to cow's milk. I've got to say that uh, because it's true. But it's not because the soy milk or the corn milk or whatever has its own nutrients. They all have to be added. And companies do that and so that's a good, but in other countries now, and that's the point I'd like to make. In Mexico, in uh, Korea, in Japan, in Germany, where they make soy milks, they're basically worthless because there's just no food value there. Is it the same with nut milk? Nut milks are uh, not as nutritious as nuts, but it's not, it's not as bad. I mean, the nutrition value is not as bad as from soybeans because with nut milks, you don't throw away the pulp. You see, you keep that. But with, soy, with soybeans, you throw away a lot of nutrients plus all the fiber. That's why it's not a very good idea at all. Or if you do make your own soy milk, and I know some people do, you need to add these vitamins or get them in your diet some way. Okay, definition of fats. Fats are composed of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and they supply about nine calories per gram. They're found in small amounts in, in almost all foods and a little larger amount in uh, a few foods. Fats are organic, okay? Uh, function of fats. For, uh, during the um, 70s and 80s, we went through a no-fat, low-fat craze. Started by Pritikin, a non-Adventist. And Wehmeyer picked it up, 
And a lot of the people up and started saying that fats are poisonous and, you know, they were bad for us and all kind of things like that. Weimar did? Oh, yeah. They, they, they have, I've been to Weimar a number of times. I can't tell you that. I don't know whether they're still on that or not, but I know they were for many years. I don't know what they are. Uh, I just know that I felt sorry for the young people that were there. There was no fat in anything, and the young people would go there and they'd pile their plates up two and three times with all these foods because young person, you know, is burning a lot of calories, and they couldn't get enough calories in just one plate of food, so they'd do it two or three times. And I've been there three or four times and, and observed that. And, uh, and so, but that was not the major problem. The major problem is we need a certain amount of fat. Fat facilitates the absorption of vitamin A, all the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K. In fact, they will not be absorbed without some amount of fat in the diet. And it's hard to get that fat unless you have nuts, avocados, but it's, and, and maybe just, you know, we don't need a lot of fat in our diet. Maybe a table, two tables, two, two spoons or a tablespoon a day. And that could be used in sauteing or, or whatever you need. But we need a little bit of fat in our diet to metabolize the, these fat-soluble vitamins. Fat also slows digestion and gives, it, gives the, the, uh, the body more time to absorb the nutrients that are there. You know, if you, you push this, these, this food through the intestine too quickly, it doesn't have time to absorb them. So the fat is designed to slow down absorption, slow down uh, transit time, so that you will have more absorption, a higher percentage of absorption. So function of fats is very, and they also, fats add flavor. Uh, they add aroma. Fat is needed to, for normal cell function of, of the heart, cell membranes, immune system, maintenance of blood pressure, fertility. Uh, it's amazing. In, uh, in the 70s, I went to a number of self-supporting institutions, and um, <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor, but the young girls were coming up and says, I'm not having my periods. What's wrong? I says, well, are you, where's your source of B12? Where's your source of, uh, are you getting enough protein in your diet? And, uh, oh, no, we don't, there's no source of B12 in their diet. And so soon after that, the self-supporting institution started adding B12. And so the young women started getting their periods back again. Uh, but the, the fat, and of course, they, they weren't having any fat either. So as they increased a little bit, maybe more nuts and more avocados, more nuts in their diet, more fat in their diet, they were able then to improve their immune system, maintenance of blood pressure, fertility, hormone production, blood clotting, control of cholesterol. All these functions are due to fat. And so when you have a low-fat diet, you have a, a big fat problem. <laughs> and not, not pounds, it's just a, a fat problem. Dietary fat and body fat are needed for cosmetic appeal. Fat provides continuous energy and helps keep us warm in the wintertime. 
Essential fatty acids are necessary for healthy skin, fight inflammation, production of glycerides, and a number of other reasons. Essential fatty acids. Now, what are the fatty acids, healthy fats? Monounsaturated fats I mentioned earlier. There's oleic uh, found in olives, avocados, nuts, and seeds. Uh, they lower total cholesterol, LDL, the bad cholesterol, low-density lipoproteins. Uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, are um, the omega-3s and omega-6s. And in America, in the U.S., we're getting too, now, it used to be we were getting too much saturated fat. Then we switched over and getting plenty of corn oil and cottonseed oil, and we're getting, now we're getting too many omega-6s. And we're not, as vegetarians especially, getting enough omega-3s. Now, omega-3s are found in, uh, basically, in flaxseed, flaxseed oil, canola oil, walnuts, and soybeans. So, if you're not getting flax, flaxseed, canola oil, walnuts, soybeans in your diet, then you need to be eating fish, fatty fish. You've got one choice or the other. Because uh, these are yielding omega-3 fatty acids, and they are called one of the essential, meaning we must eat them in our diet. Okay? Fish is a good source, those that eat fish. But uh, I can't eat fish. I just can't. I'd throw up. So <laughs> I'm not a fish person, never was. In fact, I, I tell people I'm a natural vegetarian. When I was uh, at home, before I, was, before I went to live with my grandmother, she was a vegetarian, so I made it easy. But my parents, you know, served clean meats. But I never liked meat. I would only eat it when I had to. So I'm a natural vegetarian, so it's no bother for me to be a vegetarian. Some people, it's very hard. It was hard for my grandmother. It was hard for Ellen White. Oh, they longed. Ellen White longed for meat, you know. And my grandmother just says, oh, I feel so empty. And my grandmother was a great cook, but she longed for her meat. But she, she was a vegetarian. But we're getting plenty of peanut oil, uh, of essential, uh, the omega-6s from peanut oil, corn oil, safflower, sunflower oil. So what we should do is uh, use, if when we use oils, and we can use a little flax oil or, or walnut oil or canola oil, Canola oil now is, is um, a great oil, which is, is good in omega-3s. So when we use oil, canola oil is a cheap oil now, and it's good to use it in our, in our dietary. Um, I don't know that that's necessary. Some of the advantages of the polyunsaturated puffa, polyunsaturated fatty acids from nuts, seeds, and plant oils are they're protective against heart disease, against stroke, they help maintain the high-density high lipoproteins. That's the good kind of cholesterol. Uh, they're lower uh, LDL cholesterol. That's a low-density lipoprotein. That's a bad kind. They may lower risk of dementia. In fact, there's a number of new studies out showing that omega-3, especially omega-3 fatty acids, will, is, reduces the risk of depression. So it has a lot to do with our mental function. So omega-3 uh, fatty acids ought to be a great part of our diet. 
The best known sterol is, of course, cholesterol found in seafoods, fish, organ meats, but moderate amounts are found in beef and chicken. Uh, in fact, more than a little moderate amount, a piece of chicken has about 80 milligrams of cholesterol. So even chicken without the skin still has cholesterol in it. But uh, the equivalent of that found in vegetable foods are, are phytosterols, found in fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, and which actually tend to lower cholesterol, blood cholesterol, serum cholesterol, rather than raise it, as the cholesterols in, in fish and chicken and beef and so on. Uh, there's a lot of varieties of nuts. Uh, in some countries, nuts are very expensive. Uh, I imagine in the islands, they're very expensive. Uh, but peanuts are usually less expensive. And peanuts are a good food. Um, and sometimes seeds, uh, sunflower seeds, flax seed, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, are another source of getting some of these uh, uh, food groups in our diet that are a little less, less expensive. Because when you go to buy pecans and macadamia nuts and uh, uh, Brazil nuts, they're probably pretty expensive. But so in that, for that food category, try to get some peanuts or sesame seeds or pumpkin seeds, uh, some kind of seeds in your diet. And of course, from these seeds, you can, or from these seeds and nuts, you can make nut butters and of course, Adventists are famous for peanut butter. In fact, um, peanut butter isn't available everywhere. So when I go on uh, international trips, I take a jar of peanut butter with me. <laughs> or almond butter or some kind of butter. Because uh, it makes life a little lot easier. Um, then there's the saturated fats, which are found in butter, cream, animal fat, um, or lard, or beef fat, coconut, palm, palm kernel. There's a big um, movement now. I guess we're ready to quit, aren't we? Sorry, I'm over time. I'm just about finished. But there's a big kick now on coconut. But um, I haven't seen good scientific evidence that it's healthy. A little bit is fine. But uh, in coconut in the shell, when you eat, peel it and eat the, chew the coconut, you're going to not eat too much of that. I can tell you that. But it went to coconut fat, uh, you know, use some, but I don't know if it's all that healthy. Um, let me see, we'll go over this. Problems of saturated fat, I think we pretty well know that. The race cholesterol, serum cholesterol and serum cholesterol uh, in the diet, in the blood, seems to raise risk of heart disease. Uh, okay, um, uh, this is just a nutrient composition of nuts, folic acid, magnesium, copper. Uh, one of the few sources of copper in our diet is nuts. Um, okay, common seeds. There's a lot of seeds out there that are there. Flax, pumpkin, sunflower, lotus, poppy, sesame, watermelon seeds. All these are good seeds. Seeds are good sources of fiber. I don't want to keep you too long here. Uh, we've talked about the essential fatty acids. Here's the, some of the problem with a low-fat diet. I'm just to give me five minutes, and I'll be finished here. Go ahead. You're going to really have to wrap it up. All right, I'm doing it. Here's, on, the, on the presentation, you can see low-fat diets, some of the problems with it. I've already mentioned a few of those, but I've got about 10 reasons here why that's a problem. Uh, okay, I think that's the best oils for frying is peanuts, palm, canola, and avocado oils. The best 
fats for baking are canola, soy, olive, sunflower, and sauteing, walnut, olive. You don't want to get it too hot. Salad dressings, here's some of the recommendations for that. Okay, about 25 to 30 percent of the calories should be from fat and uh, less than 10 percent from saturated fat. Okay, thanks very much. That's about it. Have a good evening. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.